begin our sermon this morning with prayer. We pray, Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Thank you for sending us your word this morning. Please send your Holy Spirit to bless us through your word, to strengthen us and encourage each one of us in our faith. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, all the other apostles are dead. They've been killed off one by one for refusing to stop teaching the gospel of Jesus. All the other apostles are dead. The only one left is 90-year-old Apostle John. And instead of being executed, what's happened to John is he's been exiled by the Roman emperor Domitian to live out the rest of his days on a lonely rock pile of an island called Patmos. And yet, it is on that island that something amazing happens. Christ himself appears to this elderly apostle and shares with him a vision of encouragement and hope that Christians are going to be drawing strength from for thousands of years to come. And that vision is written down in the Bible book that we call Revelation. So I thought I would take a little straw poll this morning, and could you raise your hand if you've ever read the book of Revelation? Nice. Thank you. Um, it's an interesting book. We probably should study it for Bible study sometime. Uh, it starts off with a few quick letters to various New Testament churches, and then it just launches into this series of visions about the cosmic battle between good and evil, which spans the entire history of our world. So Revelation has scenes in it from the very beginning of our history, scenes like the devil being cast out of heaven and coming down to spread his corruption of sin to the world. And Revelation also has scenes from the very end of times, Satan being locked up in hell, God's people being triumphantly taken off to heaven and living happily ever after. But then a bunch of revelation takes place in between those things, many, many scenes from the ongoing spiritual battle that has been taking place throughout the whole history of our world. And it's kind of the devil and his demons on one side, and then God and his angels and his church on the other. Revelation is full of scenes from the whole entire history of the world, and because the book of Revelation is awesome, it doesn't describe these scenes with regular words, but it describes virtually everything with intense, exciting pictures and symbolism, and it paints these vivid landscapes that probably, arguably, grab people's attention more than anything else in the entire Bible. And so Revelation is describing events of our world in this incredible, fantastic, gripping way. Even in the two chapters leading up to our sermon text today, this is the kind of thing that we see. We see the picture of a pregnant woman fleeing and being chased by this dragon that's trying to consume her child. And of course, this is a symbolism of the devil chasing down the Christian church and trying to destroy it before Christ the Savior can be born. And then after the dragon, we see a terrifying beast rising out of the sea, and that beast symbolizes world governments which attack and persecute Christians. And then we see another terrifying beast rising out of the earth, and this one symbolizes false teaching and corruption that happens inside of the church itself. And things are starting to get a little bit dark 
in the book of Revelation right in the middle, and things are starting to get a little bit scary. But just as things get dark and scary, at this precise moment, a ray of hope comes shining through. And that ray of hope is our sermon text today from Revelation 14, 6 and 7. This is what we hear in the middle of some of the scariest symbolism of beasts and monsters. Almost sounds like a Halloween text, right? Suddenly we've got, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And the sudden appearance of this angel reminds us that no matter how dark and scary and hopeless things may appear to be in this world, because our salvation is kept securely in Christ, everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. So I asked the kids a whole bunch of questions this morning. You know, for all of us, I've got kind of one big question. We've already unpacked some of the symbolism. We said there's this dragon, it symbolizes the devil. There's this giant beast out of the sea, it symbolizes persecution. What about this angel who flies in out of nowhere with this message of good news? Who is this angel? By the end of our sermon today, we will have an answer to that question. But first, we need to understand the necessity of that angel in the first place the reason we need this angel is it's all because of the dragon. So going back two chapters, Revelation 12 identifies this dragon in Revelation as that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. It not only identifies him, but then it kind of tells us his backstory. So apparently, before our physical realm was created, there was a battle in the spiritual realm. And it was a battle between angels. God had made many, many angels, all of them to be his servants for good. But some of those angels apparently rebelled. And led by the one named Satan or Lucifer or the devil, he has many names, they rebelled against the good angels, rebelled against God, and tried to take over heaven for themselves. But the devil and his angels lost. And so the dragon was hurled down from heaven and all of his angels with him. And this, then, is where the devil's story intersects with our story. Because having come down to earth, the devil starts to look for an opportunity to spread pain and chaos in God's physical creation. And he finds the place to do that in the Garden of Eden. He comes to a man named Adam and a woman named Eve, and he tricks them, convinces them to eat some forbidden fruit. He pulls them into sin. He pulls them into his rebellion against God, and then he pulls them into the consequences he deserves, which is God's eternal punishment in hell. So at this point, having fallen from heaven, come down to the earth, tempted human beings, and pulled us into his rebellion, Satan must be feeling pretty proud of himself. But God has a counter move, and God's counter move is pretty unexpected to say the least. God's counter move is this. God is not going to provide a path for people to gradually work their way back into his good graces. Instead, God is going to send a savior who is going to do all of the work for us. We said Revelation spans the whole Bible, so now this really is the story of the whole entire Old Testament. It is God's people clinging to that promise that there's going to be a savior and he's going to do the work for us, waiting and waiting for that savior to come, 
And yet, running parallel to that story, there's another story in the Old Testament, and it is the story of the devil constantly assaulting God's people, constantly messing with God's people, trying as hard as he can to wipe faith off the face of the earth before the Savior can come. And there's points in the Old Testament where it almost looks like the devil's going to be successful. Consider, for example, the days before the flood, when the world became so godless and so evil, and the devil tricked so many people and turned them away from God that it was down to one believing family left in the entire world, Noah and his family, and that was it. God solved that. God reset things, but then consider the days before the Babylonian exile, when Israel was now you know, a large, powerful nation, but they were sliding away so much in faith that their kings and queens were hunting down and killing God's prophets. And God's people had gotten so turned into idols and so turned away from God that the prophet Elijah fled into the wilderness, sat down under a tree, and prayed to God in despair because he thought he was literally the final believer left in the world. But he wasn't. God was doing more work in people's hearts than the prophet Elijah realized. And God used even that exile to build faith in Israel. And soon after, God finally sent the promised Savior the world had been waiting for for thousands of years. And Jesus lived a perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross and washed away every one of our sins. And Jesus rose from the dead to give eternal life to everyone who believes in him. And because of Jesus and what he did, the devil was completely defeated. But after Jesus, in the New Testament era, the devil hasn't stopped working. In fact, it appears he's working harder than ever. And Revelation 12 refers to this when it says, he is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. The devil is running out of time until he is locked up and things are done. And so today, these last days, these are his chance to keep reaching out and steering people away from God. So even after Jesus had defeated the devil on the cross, the devil is working so hard. We see the devil right away in the early church. Now we're talking through the New Testament. We see the devil attacking the early church with persecution, first from the Jews, then from the Romans, all of this persecution from the outside. And it doesn't work. The persecution just spreads the Christians out to more places. And Christianity grows, and very quickly it becomes the official religion of the Holy Roman Empire. So then the devil switches his plan. Instead of attacking the church from the outside, he now begins to attack the church from the inside with corruption, with false teachings. Until you get to the time of the Middle Ages, when the bloated, massive Catholic church has more power than the secular government. It has grown into just an absolute monster, an absolute beast. And yet on the inside, that Catholic church of the Middle Ages is corrupt and rotting so much that it is no longer even telling people how to get to heaven. The Catholic church of the Middle Ages is now teaching people the way to get to heaven is do as many good works as possible, say as many prayers as possible, and of course, give lots and lots of money to church. And you reach the point where by 1500 AD, if you attend a Catholic church in Europe, the gospel of Jesus is virtually nowhere to be found. Things are getting dark again. Things are starting to get scary again. But again, it is in that precise moment that a ray of hope comes shining through. 
another angel flying in midair with the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. So we ask again, who is this angel? Well, for you Greek fans, Greek scholars out there, uh, the Greek word angel simply means messenger. And as you think about it, down through the years, God has sent one messenger after another. Sometimes it's spiritual angels from heaven. Sometimes it's people, prophets, people like this who serve as God's messengers. But through all the years of history, God has sent messengers to make sure that the gospel is not lost, that the gospel continues to be proclaimed on the earth. And in fact, during those times when it almost looks like the devil is going to win, in history, those are the times when you can hear the voice of those messengers, sometimes speaking the loudest. For example, in the years before the flood, we'll talk back through it, God had sent Noah to not just build an ark, but the New Testament tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness to a world which had almost no hope left at all in the Savior. And then think of the years before the exile, when things got so grim and faith was shrinking till Elijah thought he was the only one left. God kept on sending Elijahs. He kept on sending prophets to encourage his people with messages about this Savior. And through prophets like Isaiah, God's people learned not only were they going to get a Savior, but that Savior was going to be pierced for their transgressions. He was going to get crushed for their iniquities. The punishment bringing them peace was going to be upon him and by his wounds, they would be healed. And then in the New Testament church, as the devil is attacking people with so much persecution, God sent out apostles like Paul to be his messengers, to be his angel, and to state the gospel so beautifully that there's almost no way to possibly misunderstand it. Uh, and we heard those verses in our second lesson today that are so clear and so meaningful. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known. And this righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The message could not be more clear. How much more clearly could you say it except to show a picture of what we showed the kids, which was a wrapped up present? God's fix for the problem of sin is not to provide a path for people to gradually work their way back into his good graces. Instead, God's fix is to send a Savior to do all of the work for them. So through the prophets, through the apostles, God's word is so eminently clear and so encouraging and powerful that as we get into the New Testament era here, the devil is really running out of options to deceive people. He kind of only has one main option left, and that is prevent people from reading the Bible. And this is something that the devil appeared to be succeeding at doing in the corrupt, rotten Catholic Church of the Middle Ages, where he had essentially taken the Bible and its core message of free forgiveness out of the church and out of people's hands completely. And yet, even in the Middle Ages, as things seemed so dark, God sent yet again a ray of hope and a messenger. And this time, it was a man named Martin Luther. Martin Luther, as you may know, was a Catholic, a Catholic theologian from Germany, 
who read and studied the Bible and saw some of these things, and he simply was in the right place, and he had the courage to stand up and challenge the church for not following the Bible. Those challenges led to a renewed study of God's word. A renewed study of God's word led to a renewed appreciation for the free forgiveness and grace that we have through Jesus our Savior. And then Martin Luther and the other Protestants who were protesting against what was happening in the church, they got kicked out of the Catholic Church. But in the process, they uncovered something that was extremely important for all human beings. They essentially re-uncovered that core message of the Bible, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith in Jesus alone. And we get these truths from Scripture alone. It's so beautiful. It's so simple. It's so clear. Again, coming through God's messenger. So the cool thing about the book of Revelation uh, besides all of the awesome imagery and dragons and beasts and stuff like that, the really cool thing about the book of Revelation is it lets you stand back as a human being and it lets you look at the entire history of the world as a snapshot. And as you do that, in the book of Revelation, you realize two things. First, you realize that the entire history of our world is really an ongoing chess match between God and the devil. It really is, just back and forth. The temptation, the fall, the promise, it's back and forth. Ongoing chess match between God and the devil all the way through, good versus evil. But then the second thing you realize when you look at the whole book of Revelation altogether is that despite what it looks like at times, this chess match is actually quite one-sided. For every attack of the devil, God has an answer. And every time the devil lies, God produces a messenger of his truth. And it is just the same exact thing in our world today. So as you look around our modern world, I wonder, uh, do you ever feel like you're in the end times? Do you ever feel like you're a character in the book of Revelation? Do you ever feel like the devil is using wars and plagues and trials and temptations and anti-Christian governments and corruption inside of churches to try to destroy your faith? Do you ever feel like that's happening? If you do, it's because it is happening. <laughs> Revelation 12 through 14 is not talking about crazy events that are going to happen someday in the future. It's talking about what's happening in our world right now. The devil always trying to turn people from faith and to attack God's church. But you know what also is happening right now is the words of our sermon text the angel flying in midair with the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. So I'll ask you one more time, who is this angel? Well, maybe now that we've talked it through, maybe you recognize that you've seen this angel more often than you thought. We see this angel, for example, in faithful pastors who stand in front of their congregation on a Sunday morning and despite the changing winds of culture, despite humanism and naturalism and skepticism and all the other isms that make people look at the Bible as though it's this silly book of old-fashioned fairy tales, we see this angel in pastors who stand in front of their churches and teach God's word in its truth and purity so people can appreciate the beautiful message of God's free grace. We also see this angel in congregations of Christians who choose to not hunker down and shield themselves surrounded only by other Christians, but Christians who go to the center of their culture, 
who go to the center of their city in order to proclaim the living gospel to masses of people who desperately need to hear it. We see this angel in a young woman who sees the divisiveness of her culture and she sees the divisiveness of her friend group and yet she works to be a bridge connecting people to each other so that she can share the gospel of Jesus with all of them. We see this angel in a young man who takes the time to talk to his neighbor, his coworker, his friend about his faith and what it means to him. We see this angel in a mom or dad who sits with their kid at bedtime and even though they're exhausted at the end of the day, reads them a devotion, teaches them a prayer, instilling in their children from early on the idea that God loves them so much. We could give countless other examples, but here's the bottom line. Until the world finally ends and Satan is locked up in hell and all God's people are safe in heaven, until that day, there will always be times when things get dark. There will always be times when things get scary. But in those times, we have God's promise, there will always, always, always be an angel, a messenger with the everlasting gospel to proclaim, reminding us that with our eternal salvation secure in Christ, everything is going to be okay. Who is this angel? For your neighbors, for your acquaintances, for your friends, and for the people that you see on a regular basis, this angel is you. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus your Savior. Amen.